Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Black ball. Black 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 ball. Black 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 What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackballed. Okay, deep breath. When I announced that I was having this podcast, uh, I guess it was three or four days ago, I was, I wouldn't say inundated, but I received uh, a bunch of messages from people who were pretty pissed off at me. They weren't pissed off because of the guests that I was having. They weren't uh, pissed off for any particular reason that I found compelling either. Mostly what they were mad at is that they accused me of sort of uh, spotlighting an issue without showing both sides of the issue. And to which my response was, that's not what I'm doing. And I, I'm pretty sure that the opinions that are going to be expressed on this podcast today are going to be opinions that a lot of people have just never heard before. What I'm trying to do is make the conversation a little bit more robust and a little bit more nuanced. Because what I think is happening, and this has been happening for years, and it's not just this issue, it's, it's several issues, is that because we're polarized... If you do not hold an exact opinion on one side of a coin, then people automatically assume that you represent whatever the polar opposite of that coin might be. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that there are two sides to every issue. I think there is a nuance and balance to every issue. And I don't want to want what I'm talking about right now to sound like a disclaimer because it isn't. I am confident in what I am doing and I'm confident in my guest today. Uh, her name is Karina Cohn. Karina, welcome to Blackbolt. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Uh, it, this is this is sort of par for the course for you, isn't it? Like you, you, uh, you're a trans woman. You represent uh, a body of opinion that doesn't necessarily jive with what people would consider to be a typical gender activist set of opinions. Is that fair? That's fair. So I want to start by asking you what it might be like to not follow orthodoxy inside gender activism and what kind of blowback that you've received because of that. A lot of the trans community now is online. A lot of the connections that we make are online. So let me say that there's maybe a difference between what happens in the online community and what happens in the real life community. In the real world, I still have a number of friends who are trans and who, believe it or not, 
see different sides of the issue and are not ideologues. But in the online spaces, which do in fact bleed out into the real world, I have become uh, an apostate and treated accordingly. The views that I talk about and that I speak about, I think if you were going to go do some polling or sampling, would probably fall in the middle, maybe a little on the left, a little on the right, depending on exactly what we were talking about. I don't think that they would be anything that would be extraordinary. In the trans community, they are considered more controversial because they are things that would, well, I, I can get into the particulars of that, but they are things that are outside of what are considered the orthodox views. There's, there are a lot of sacred cows inside gender activism. Is that and and these are things like women's sports and uh, spaces for women and things like that. I'm just going to put up a headline that I saw in a British newspaper. I think it was yesterday that I first saw it, and it says trans prisoners to be barred from women's jails in strict new policy proposed by Dominic Rab. Justice Secretary Dominic Rab plans to implement policy on trans prisoners. Ministers will have to sign off move of male-bodied inmate to women's prisons. Government would also have the power to order removal of transgender prisoners. Now, in the UK, this issue became somewhat of a controversial issue because of this person. And this person is now named Karen White. Uh, I don't recall what uh, her name was before she claimed to be trans. And I think part of the issue that I think people have when talking about this is that, and I'll just speak for myself, okay? There are, and and I want to preamble this by saying that, uh, and and I have to do this only because it feels like when people talk past each other, they make an assumption, a lot of assumptions when people have certain opinions. Obviously, I know trans people exist. Obviously, I want them to have the same rights as everybody else has. My concern of male body prisoners inside women's prison has nothing to do with being afraid of trans women. What I'm afraid of is that predators, people like this person who was convicted of murder and I believe sexual assault before uh, they made their court appearance and they were sentenced, then claim during sentencing that they are female, get transferred to women's prisons, and then rape women at that prison. I think that that person is a cisgendered male. I do not see that person as a trans woman. I think that they are lying about it. They are co-opting the trans identity in order to prey on women. And for some reason, that is considered transphobic in today's world. And I am so utterly confused as to why that is. And I'm hoping you can help me. <laughs> you know, you caught me a little bit off guard by saying that you consider that person to be a, a cis man. Why is that? Isn't this, maybe I'm like, see, maybe I'm just so confused because I, 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 I was, I'm like conditioned now to like not say straight male anymore because apparently that's, that's yep, thing. that's what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> is that, is that you added cis there because there's some sort of maybe, uh, conditioning is maybe not a, a fair word, but there's no, you a, can, a, a bone that you're fine. throwing. Yeah. I'm like self-censoring myself. Like, like we have all yes. these, like, I have all these patterns that I'm trying, I'm avoiding pitfalls at every turn. I'm trying to figure out the right way to say it. But basically I think that that, you know, um, a heterosexual male is pretending to be a trans woman in order to prey mm -hmm. on women. And, and I think that, that when you offer up 
a potential Trojan horse like that, predatory males are going to take it. And so. yeah. And, and why is that so controversial? I'd like to establish something here. Sure. That I think that you and I probably agree on, which is that in our uh, prison system, that when people go to prison, there are a number of reasons why. Part of it is punishment. Part of it is to segregate violent people from society. But if you are sent to prison, whether you are a woman or whether you are a man, that you should not be subject to extra violence or assault as part of that experience in the prison. You should be safe no matter who you are. Right? We, we agree with that. Yes. So when we're talking about this issue of having uh, people who identify as trans women, males who identify as trans women, being sent into the female prison, a lot of that is related to a safety issue for, for that prisoner. So we, we say this person is uh, going to be a vulnerable individual. They're going to be subject to more violence, uh, potentially more sexual assault. And so in order to protect the safety and the dignity of that individual, we're going to move them into a different space. That is the problem that they are trying to solve with the trans prisoners. Mm -hmm. If we, you accept that premise that everybody should be safe from sexual assault or extra violence, you also have to think about the position of the female prisoners who are going to be set into close quarters with individuals who can rape them. A few years ago, before it was even conceivable that somebody that had a penis would be jailed with women, there was a, an unwritten or a, maybe this uh, de facto practice that people like me who've had genital surgery and, and therefore I, it is impossible for me to rape or impregnate a woman, that individuals like me would be housed in the women's estate because as a practical matter, uh, I am more subject to uh, being a recipient of sexual assault, somebody like me, uh, than being able to commit it. What has happened in the last 10 years is that what is considered by the state to be considered uh, legally the opposite sex, that those standards have changed. And in some cases, there's justification why people wanted to change it, which we can talk about if you want to. But the bottom line is that that definition of what you would need to do in order to be considered a trans woman, that, that definition has shifted. And that has caused real world effects. Uh, in this case, what you're talking about is men with intact functioning uh, genitalia being housed in the women's prison estate. Is, is one of the main issues of, of, of trying to find points of agreement on this the definition of what a woman is? And uh, what, what I mean by that is I, I, I feel like, um, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm, I'm trying to avoid the pitfalls again uh, in my own <laughs> mind. Um, I think trans women and women are equals but different. And... I feel that's kind of obvious, and I don't know why I'm so afraid to say it out loud. Hmm. But 
it 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 seems to me that um you know that we have taken gender itself and have decided that we have come up with a new definition that most people didn't know was changed um i won't say overnight but was changed over time and i think everyone's just sitting in a state of confusion where a lot a lot of people want to be as inclusive as possible but at the same time they they can't seem to get out of their minds well obviously um these the like women and trans women are, are are different they're they're equals but they're not quite the same and we're so afraid to talk about it and if we're not afraid to talk about it sometimes we're too enthusiastic to talk about it and i'm thinking of like the far right and um you know just how giddy they get when they can make a point on this issue but you, it feels like it comes from a bad place and and that's not the impression that i'm trying to give do you know what i'm saying i do it's so uh, is, if is, I if I understand what please. you're saying, yeah. you want to be able to talk about this issue honestly, with the presumption that there's a good faith discussion to be had, without feeling like that if you misstate something that somebody could take offense to, that you'll get blowback or criticism, be because somebody is not participating in the spirit of good faith. That's exactly right. You know what I need? An earpiece that you're always there to tell me what to say. <laughs> because, you know, this is this this is the first time I've had a conversation like this. Um, and, and part of it is because I have avoided it uh, to try to remain like, you know, uncanceled. And, 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 and part of it is just born out of frustration because I want to be able to um, discuss this issue where people understand that I am in your corner if you want to live your life in any way that you want to live it. But I also want to be able to be reasonable. Um, can I, I, you, we have something in common. We both uh, wrote uh, a piece for Quillette and uh, I wrote mine a while ago and I just want to read an expert. I hope I get this in the right order. I think it's yeah, this is the right order. I'm just going to read this expert, and then I want you to talk about it because I I thought the piece was super powerful. Um, and I know Jonathan Kay, and uh, you know, and I think uh, I I just think people need to hear this. In my elementary schooling, I'd I'd been made to see a psychologist to discover why I couldn't fit in, why I was constantly a target for bullies. Uh, my logo is blocking it, so I think it says I I know that the question was answered and that it was an issue larger than myself. I continued to wonder what was wrong with me. Maybe I was not supposed to be a boy. It seemed to solve so much. In the very, in the very early days of the modern internet, there was a non-commercial predecessor to Facebook and Twitter called IRC or Internet Relay Channel. Using login credentials borrowed from a teacher, I used this chat network to seek out help and I found it. For a misfit like me, finding a group of people who were accepting and validating was amazing maybe even intoxicating. These people understood me, or even if they didn't quite understand me, they would at least listen to me. Cross-dressers, transvestites, and transsexuals, people who were gender non-conforming, a community where I belonged, finally. And then, <clears throat> transsexuals would trade recommendations, surgeons, endocrinologists, and psychologists who could easily... I, my logo is covering everything. Do you know what it says there? <laughs> you could uh, easily persuade or write letters of recommendation. We'll just pretend it says that. The transvestites and cross-dressers would mostly ignore us, although some of them would wistfully express how they wished they could just go part way. They wanted to retain their male anatomy, 
an idea that transsexuals couldn't or pretend they couldn't understand. Over time, different subgroups formed, and those who wanted to transition partway started to band together under the label transgender. You might be wondering about the women who wanted to transition to become men. They were hardly around. And truth be told, they weren't particularly welcome in a space populated by gender-bending men. Antipathy towards the female sex is the norm in these trans spaces. It's hard to make believe in the presence of the real deal. Can you expand on that and what you meant? Because if I actually uh, said that, I feel like I would, uh, you know, the backlash would be severe. And I find you so brave. And and I know, I don't know, I, you seem humble to me. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but you know, in the world that we live in and, and, and how this issue is presented and talked about, I, I, I think that you are a brave person and I just want to commend you for that. But can you expand on what you were saying there a little bit? Sure. You excerpted a, a couple of pieces there, so I'm not sure which is most salient, but maybe the, the last part about yes. the last uh, part. Yeah, It's hard to pretend to be a woman when there's women around. Right. There is for, for people who are trans, there is something that is very uh, sad in a way that there's something that you really feel like you're supposed to be and that there's not a way to attain it. I used to feel that very strongly inside of me that if only I could become a woman, then I would be able to whatever that part that was missing that made me feel like I was not a complete thing, uh, a complete person, that if I could have that, then, then I would be whole. Thank goodness I don't feel that way anymore. I'm a whole person. I don't, I don't need to pretend to be a woman to be a whole person. I'm, I'm just a whole person. That took a lot of work to get to. But when you have the, the difference between men and males and boys who want to become women and actual women, it, it, is, it is a profound difference. And even though there can be masculine women and even though there can be feminine men and even though there can be women who enjoy uh, traditionally masculine activities, uh, that's only tradition, that's only cultural. There are men who can enjoy traditionally feminine activities. Again, that is only cultural that there is nevertheless a, an uncrossable boundary between the sexes. And as much as you might be able to come to emulate the opposite sex, and as much as you may have encounters in your life where people take you to be the opposite sex, you are always going to be anchored into the sex that you were born as. Not assigned as, but the sex that you were born as. Conceived as. That's probably, you know what? That's what it should be. Uh, not sex assigned at birth, but sex assigned at conception. Because that's when sex is assigned. Wow, you just opened up a whole religious debate with that one too. <laughs> Which is awesome. Um, why is uh, the, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was living in Toronto, one of the things I enjoyed doing every year with my straight and gay friends would be going to the gay pride parade. And then one year the dyke March happened and, um, and that was awesome too. No one saw it as self segregation. Why is it that if you, uh, you know, offer up the idea of, of trans women having their own spaces, 
which I think would keep them safe from men and make uh, women, vulnerable women, like in like rape crisis centers and prisons also feel safe. Um, and again, my argument is always about the heterosexual predator in that in that situation. But why is it seen as segregation if if the idea of a, a space for trans women is offered up? Would you like me to try to take that as like a steel man challenge? And that I, think, that I can I think you should answer it any way you want. <laughs> All right. Let me let me try to do this because I'm, I'm going to try to put forward the position that I disagree with and, and try to do it genuinely and, and sure. do it justice. So when you segregate people that are different, mm -hmm. you are really setting them aside as being outside of society. You're saying that these people should not be part of the whole. It is a, a form of oppression to do that. And when, you're, when you are deliberately marginalizing people, everybody should have a place. And if there are some individuals who don't have a place uh, in, in the sense that they don't feel like that they have a place um, among the sex that they were assumed to be, then they should nevertheless have a place somewhere. So when you're proposing that we should create separate spaces or third spaces, uh, if we want to do that, that would be fine if there are people who wanted to avail themselves of those spaces but that shouldn't be something that the majority of people, or the majority of men or women, say that uh, that people are forced to use that third space. Maybe created as an option, but we should not require people to use third spaces because that is, again, that would be us marginalizing them. And one of the things that we should do towards the end of increasing the amount of equality and justice in the world is reduce the number of people who are marginalized. No, I agree with that. I think um, I, I I think maybe I I asked that question in a sloppy way because I was still sort of in the context of prisons and and male body and, and things like that. But um, well, I, I think that would still apply. How was that? How would that be reconciled with uh, with the position that I think we share, which male bodied prisoners inside female prisons is mm -hmm. probably not a good idea. Well, how do you, you how do to. so maybe I should ask it like this. How do you how do we remedy that problem? There are certain amount of practical and, and pragmatic things that we have to understand. And that is that males are dangerous to women. They are uniquely dangerous to women. And if one of the things that we are trying to do is make sure that people have uh, safety and dignity is it cannot just be one subset of this this whole group whose concerns were were worried about. So as I said from the very beginning, every prisoner should feel safe. Every prisoner should feel not just feel safe; they should be safe. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very difficult for us to guarantee that with the way that prisoners uh, the way that prisons are designed. But one thing that we could do for female prisoners is not incarcerate them with people who can rape them and impregnate them. So we, we say it's not only the subgroup whose rights that we're concerned with. We have to be worried about everybody's rights. We have to be worried about everybody's welfare. And there are inevitably going to be occasions 
where there is a conflict between the, the dignity and the safety of, of one group versus the dignity and, and the safety of the other. And to the extent that we should ensure everybody has safety in prison, uh, we should nevertheless not deliberately choose policies that sound nice, but lead to actual harm for women. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. So then what would what do we do then specifically like what what are some of the ideas that maybe I don't know about that um so say and and let's just forget about the heterosexual predator for a second let's just put that aside uh, and and a male bodied trans woman um pre op or whatever the correct term is right now um uh you know it's, it's not that anymore <laughs> I I don't know what it is man I'm sorry can you teach me things Did you just I, call me man No no well I call I, everyone man I thought that is not no <laughs> Stop it. Stop taking advantage of my nervousness. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Like, like, what do we do with male bodied uh, trans women who, who, who are sent to prison? Uh, where do we, where do we put them? Cause we don't want to put them with men because men will, you know, they, they're not safe in male prisons and right. we don't want to run the risk of potentially putting women at risk. So where do they go? That is a question that's difficult to answer because my answer has to be status quo. Mm -hmm. which is a shitty answer because you're saying, well, those people are, are at more risk. My answer would be prisons have to have, uh, like the, the state which operates prisons that we, as people who are on the outside of these prisons should be asking for more accountability from the people who run them from our representatives to make sure that these are safe places for the prisoners to be. So, that the reason that's a shitty answer is because it's um, you know it, it's it's one step away from just making wishes. Uh, mm. One step away is saying, well, it really ought to be this way. But there's no movement among unincarcerated people that is widely supported to make prisons safer. Um, I myself don't do very much. I I give a little bit of money to groups that are trying to to pursue. That, those forms of justice, but not very much. It's a, a, a token amount, really. But I'm not out there talking to politicians saying, hey, how come, how come uh, there are so many attacks and uh, assaults in prison? How come there are so many killings in prison? I'm not, I'm not doing that. But we should be doing that. And, yeah, you know what? It's not it's not it's as bad of an answer as you it's not as bad as an answer as you think because uh and I was just talking about this on a totally different issue on a different podcast a couple weeks ago about how there's this weird tacit acceptance 
of like we joke about uh, like you know if if you go to prison oh don't drop the soap in the shower and the reason why we why people make jokes like that is because we don't seem to care that people get raped in prisons men women it, it like really like they're it's almost like well they you know they they did a crime they have to go to prison and them's the breaks and i think you're absolutely right i think that you know i think the accountability factor of the people that run these prisons like if you get raped in prison you should be able to sue the warden or the prison like like i, I you know i don't really know why that hasn't been a thing for decades you know um Listen, let's pivot away from that for a second, because uh, another thing that uh, I, I, I saw something that you posted, a video that you posted, and it's another one of those uh, sacred cow issues that you seem to come at uh, in what would be probably described as an outlier position. And I just wanted to get your take on it. Be uh, uh, Yeah, that's right fair. Sacred cows make the best steak. They, they do. The stakes are high. Okay, hold on. Hello, my name is Corinna Cohn. I am a resident of Indiana and I support House Bill 1041. I am also a transsexual. That means that I was born male, that as a teenager, I took hormones and surgery to look female and I am still male. My sex did not change. I'm here to explain why I support House Bill 1041, which is a bill that protects the rights for girls and women to compete in their own sex class. I have girls in my family and what I know is that sport is so important for them. It helps build self-esteem and self-confidence. But I also know that it's easy for girls to give up if they get discouraged. And if they have to compete against boys, it's going to be much more difficult for them to stay engaged. In addition, girls are often competing for lucrative scholarships at the collegiate level. And it's not fair to expect these girls to have to compete against people who were born male. Males go through puberty, which gives them advantages in sport that no matter how many hormones they take afterwards will never go away. Males are taller, they have increased lung capacity, and they have musculature and bone structure that makes them more competitive in sport. The only fair thing to do to help these girls and women is to limit the women's and girls' sports class to those who were born female. One of the reasons that I'm here today to advocate for House Bill 1041 is because although I had given spoken testimony at the legislature in support of this bill, there was no local coverage of a transsexual like me explaining why it's important to support girls and women. Therefore, I'm appealing to you today to contact your legislator and let them know that you also support women and girls. This is not a partisan issue. I have voted for Republicans and Democrats, but we need to think outside of the party lines and understand the important principles here that protecting women and girls, especially in this arena of sport, is something that we are all called to do. I, I saw you uh, avoid the pitfalls there too. <laughs> so I'm glad we have that in common with I voted Democrat and Republican because you didn't want to come off, I guess, as like a, a Republican. Was that bill passed? Yes, or is it that was. still on? So it was passed. So so that means that means what? It means that it is the law in Indiana. However, what has happened subsequent to that is that there was a case of a 10-year-old who was not permitted to join the girls' 
softball team. He had already been part of the softball team, but he was not permitted to continue participating in it. And there was a lawsuit filed and there has been a, a I guess a stay or, or a temporary lack of enforcement on uh, HB 1041 until that gets through the court system. Interesting. Uh, and that's probably really difficult for the young person that's trying to play softball. Like, I mean, th this is the thing about this issue is that, you know, I don't think anyone would, would think that that child that wants to play softball, that there's something wrong with that person that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that we should be angry at him or her. And, and I just feel like, you know, and, and, and also like this is before puberty, assuming, you know, if he's 10 years old, like rough right around puberty or something anyways. So there are nuances to this discussion. Did you get any, because I, the, the thing that stuck out for me in what you just said in that video was that there was no coverage of your statement that you made inside the government body. Why do you think that was? I believe that now I, I recognize that when people say things like this, it, uh, there's always the danger that they're they're only coming from their own point of view. I, I am aware of that. So I, I got to be careful here. Nevertheless, what I believe is that generally in the news editor rooms, whether that's on TV or particularly in, in my state, definitely in the newspaper room, is that there is the ability to influence how news is uh, dispensed at, at the editor's desk. So the editors have the ability to say, well, I feel this way about this issue. I feel this way about this issue. And I know that if I included this in my coverage, that it would have a certain amount of persuasion on the people watching or listening or reading. And so I am going to, I think that this is interesting. I think that this is provocative. I know that because I, I talked to reporters after I gave my testimony who told me this, um, that nevertheless, at, as the editor, I am going to remove this coverage because it, it would be too explosive to include it. Wow. Do you, and, and what do you think about that? Because I, I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's the problem. That's one big problem with journalism right now is the fear the fear of being able to show an opinion and also that that opinion, if that opinion was expressed by anyone else, they, it would be a no brainer for them. They wouldn't even think about it twice. They would like, we're definitely not running that. And maybe there are some good arguments for that. Like if you don't have skin in the game, um, it can come off as hateful. Like it, I know it can. I, I, and I'm the recipient of that kind of criticism often because you know, even though I try my best to, to to explain exactly what I mean, I'm not perfect, and and certainly I I, I can offend sometimes. But it, coming from you, it's 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 it reminds me, and I can't get this out of my head, of when I see a black conservative talk about the need for policing in communities. Mm -hmm. They go through the same thing. They they they're you know they're they're almost called a traitor by a lot of people. Why? I guess my question is, is there, is there a lack of understanding that within certain communities, um, trans communities, uh, people of color, there is diversity of opinion that people don't want to accept. People want oh. to think that there's a monolith in certain groups. And I think that's dangerous. And I think that it feeds 
the hateful people on the other side even more red meat for them to be extra aggressive in their opinions. What do you think about that? Thinking how to choose my words carefully, James. Yeah. <laughs> Look at both of us just scrambling I know. not to pitfall. Yeah. Well, let me go back to these editors because the editors are not the only people who tend to uh, have this sort of control, but there are also publishers and other people at who help produce media. What I have noticed is that people who are in these influential positions who get to choose where the spotlight falls are the ones who pick different voices from minority groups or marginalized groups to be the official spokespersons of those groups. So the practical effect is this. If I am an Ivy League educated uh, person, I have come up through, I'm white, I have come up through a lot of privilege and that I have attained this executive position at a publishing company. One of the options that I have in this case is finding a spokesperson from a marginalized community who is expressing a view that I am sympathetic to and elevating or uplifting that person to have a national media platform. Hmm. So that is one of the things that creates that effect, James, of there are a wide variety of political opinions uh, among Blacks, among Hispanics, among trans people, among women, but what you tend to see when it gets to the level of media is that somebody who wants a certain view to enjoy more prominence makes that decision to to uplift that. And you know what? Let's turn that inwards. You ask me to come on to to talk about these things. That that is also an editorial choice. You're not Joe Rogan yet. I I, I see the potential there. I know that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> But um, if Joe Rogan brought somebody like me on to, to talk about these very issues, that is another case of picking somebody to be a spokesperson for a, a certain point of view, right? Yeah, so and that's what I was trying to like point out before is that like um, a, a person in your position, I guess, has to be careful not to become co-opted by uh, an editorial decision that has an ulterior motive. I'm very cognizant of the danger. Yeah. And mine does not. I, I, I grow frustrated all the time just with certain issues because my whole life I thought I was a progressive. Um, I believe mm -hmm. in man-made climate change. I am anti-war. I believe in a societal safety net. You know, like um, I believe in, um, in, in, in safe spaces for women. I believe in, uh, you know, a whole host of things that I, I can't even think of uh, issues that I would fall on the right side of the political spectrum of. And then um, what some people call identity politics uh, started sort of coming around about a decade ago, as far as my perception was concerned. And all of a sudden I was like overnight, I was being called alt-right and like hardcore conservative. And I was just like, what are you guys talking about? Like, like you know, and it took me a while to catch up to what was happening. And then now I'm just so lost. Like it's, it's, you know, like I, and I blame almost everything on polarization. So if you don't believe in the orthodoxy on the left, you are far right. 
according to the le the far left. And it's just, it's really frustrating because now mainstream media seems to be taking on that philosophy as if it's biblical. And we're all in that box now. We're, we're, we're kind of like, because even the people like myself who want to like try to sit there and be like, no, you don't have to be in the boxes. There's, it, it, there's more than two sides. No one listens to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, some people do, but you know, for the most part, we're, we're treading water. And it's got to be frustrating, especially for a person like yourself, who also doesn't seem like you're some sort of far right person, like just expressing your honest opinions. And people must be, especially on the left, must be livid with you. I expect that some are, but more or less, I've just been so marginalized by people on the left at this point that I don't, I don't get a lot of hatred directed at me. I don't get a lot of emails telling me that I'm wrong or anything. I, I think that maybe I've just been written off, which is fine. Yeah. Less stressful. It is. That's yeah. why I say it. it's fine. <laughs> um, tell me about your podcast. I love the name of it. Heterodorks. I love that. I do a podcast with Nina Paley. Nina is a renowned animator. She made a, a movie called Sita Sings the Blues and uh, another um, that because I'm on the spot, uh, Seder Masochism uh, was not coming to my tongue. Uh, she's, a, she's also a radical feminist. I am trans, as you know, there are, uh, I don't know if the radical feminists are Russia and the trannies are Ukraine or what, it might be backwards. Oh, you know what? It's the trannies that are Russia because they're the ones who are invading. Uh, yeah, true but <laughs> but uh, we have a, a dynamic between us that we're friends and that we can talk about these sorts of issues without taking offense at anything uh, the other person says. That thing that I just said is something that would be typical on our show is like a joke, right? Yeah. Because I don't think that, I don't think that there's an alignment between Putin and all of the transgender people in the world. I, that's ridiculous. So that's, that's just humor. Yeah. But no, no. Uh, by it. using humor, we're able to, to tackle some of these difficult things and model conversations where we can talk about difficult things without feeling offended. Yeah. Um, and the radical feminist, the first thing that came to my mind, just because of what we're talking about today, was the term turf. And I'm just curious, this came to my mind, what do you think of that label? And um, and what do you think of the whole thing uh, regarding J.K. Rowling? Uh, I, I just, I'm just curious. I, 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 she's the most successful, she's one, she's the most successful children's writer ever. It doesn't matter, male or female. And she must be the most abused woman online. But I'm, I, anyways, I'm curious as to at least one of them. Um, I know she's a billionaire and she doesn't really have to deal with being abused in the same way that other people do. But um, what are your thoughts on her and what are your thoughts on that term turf? I think that turf is a pejorative. I would say that it is the modern equivalent to feminazi. Oh, wow. I don't think that there's any practical difference in how those terms are deployed. They are both terms that are pointedly meant to marginalize women because they are women who have opinions that are uh, that that center women in their politics. So feminazi is meant to to make women sound mean and harsh and unaccepting and un, unfriendly. And turf is exactly the same, precisely the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I uh, I think I'm allowed to agree with that. I think I, I I do agree with that. And then J.K. Rowling, that like I see, it's not uncommon to just like run into tweets that are just literally threatening her life or wishing her death or wishing her raped, mm-hmm. and all these types of things. And and um, and I don't. I, I am so conspiratorial sometimes that I'm like, are these like far right wingers that are just pretending to be trans people in order to like make them look bad because, because it's, it's, it's so outrageous what this, what, which the the hatred that's directed towards her. Yeah. Well, two comments about JK Rowling. One Mm. is that I'm kind of disappointed in some of my friends who now when they talk about any of JK Rowling's properties, like Harry Potter, that they, they have to, give me a, a virtue signal saying, I I just like Harry Potter. I don't like JK Rowling. Uh, I'm disappointed uh, that my friends, some of them have been doing that. If, if you're listening, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> and they are clearly being uh, socially manipulated. They don't, they have not read anything that JK Rowling has written. The only thing that they have read is hyperbolic, reactions to what she has read. And I I had I actually uh one of my friends called me up on this. So so maybe uh somebody can chime in and tell me if I was in the wrong or not. But I had made a a comparison between Colin Kaepernick who received a, a lot of criticism for kneeling on the football field to to draw attention to issues of uh, racial inequality. I thought it was the um, greatest one man protest moment ever, but you know, nonviolent I, I personally, but anyways, go on. Well, I, I, I thought it was a, a good uh, way of, of bringing attention to the issue. Mm-hmm. I, I supported that, but I have friends who also just exactly what you said, James, that have that sort of opinion, but who say of JK Rowling, she should learn how to keep her mouth shut. Stay in your lane, right? She needs to, she needs to step back. Yeah. And, uh, and somebody said that, that that's a racist comparison. I don't see that, but maybe somebody can, um, how is supporting Colin Kaepernick kneeling on the field and then contrasting that to JK? How how is that racism? Well, I, I think the idea was that the scale or, or the it's, it's maybe, um, an apples to oranges comparison was, how it's described to me, but I, I see them both as cases of individuals with high profiles um, notoriously advocating for a, a group of individuals who are, who are being marginalized by the, the dominant um, culture. Right. Or, so I, 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 I see comparisons, but uh, somebody told me I was, I was mistaken on that, but, you know, just throwing that out there. Yeah. I'm seeing in the comments now. Um, it says, uh, and and a lot of my audience are listeners and not watchers, so that's why I'm going to read it out. But <clears throat> J.K. Rowling also wrote a novel under the name Robert Galbraith, in which the killer dressed as a woman as a forensic countermeasure. She was attacked for, as being transphobic for it. Um, again, anytime you impugn someone's motive without actually knowing what someone's motive is, You've lost the plot. Even if you're right, you have to wait. You have to ask, <clears throat> ask for for someone to, to like clarify their context. Uh, we don't do that now. I I, I call it. Um, we all have brains now. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
we all have brains now that are like search engine optimization software where we're going to hear oh, it no. when we hear it, we hear a keyword and then we just boom, we have it. We, we immediately like reflexively uh, make a often really offensive opinion based on the keyword that we just heard. Um, the left do it when they hear keywords like when they hear anyone say free speech now, the left goes batshit. They go crazy. They're like, oh, you must be a crazy right winger. And it's just like, dude, free speech is a left wing like principle that started on the Berkeley campus. Like it, it, it is not a, a bastion of far right wing racist conservatism. It, it just isn't. Um, but we don't think anymore. And, and uh, you know, and we could probably talk for a whole show about why that is. I mean, I'm sure social media has a lot to do with it <laughs> and things like that. But, well, you know, can, I, I, want, I want to follow up. You said that our brains are like uh, search engine optimization. And yeah. I think that's a great analogy because what we need to do, if, if that's true, is we just need to learn to ignore the first three links that come up. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they're paid for. Yeah, that's right. They are that's paid right. for. Right. Yeah, it's um it's a strange world. Um, but you know, I, I think I think we need more conversations like this. Like again, I I, I'm, I was gonna bring up um the the this this one person who I like, okay. I'm not gonna say his name. He's a colleague at the network, he has his own podcast. Uh he he was troubled that I wasn't um gonna do this podcast with someone who has uh the sort of status quo opinion. Um and and I you know I tried to explain to him, you know. I don't ever see a podcast where the work where someone like Corinna's opinion is is spotlighted because it's being framed as bigotry if other people show that opinion. This is like um you know having you want to express this opinion for a lot of people they've never seen this before. They probably didn't even know it existed until they started watching this podcast. And I think we need to like recognize that and 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 talk about that. You know, like, like, again, the whole um, idea that the trans community is a monolith is probably more offensive than anything you've said today. It's easily more offensive. There's, I don't I, know what the question is. I agree. Is. I'm just, I'm just I agree. it to you. <laughs> I, I think it's really tempting. There are so many groups that we're not part of, right? I'm not part of a, a, a black or, or other color, a person of color uh, group, right? So I don't know what's happening inside of those communities unless I talk to people who are who I'm friends with. But now I've already selected those people as as friends, so I'm already introducing some bias because I I already like uh, the the people who I like. Right? That's that's mm -hmm. a tautology. I don't know what's happening inside of deeply inside of other communities, but it sure is easy for me to latch on to a representative sample and then extrapolate and say, oh, this is what black people think. This is what Hispanic people think. And that's, that's a mistake. And I'm not saying that that's uh, prejudice to do that or, or that it's uh, bigoted to do that, but it's just the way that our brains work is we don't have the ability to sample a hundred people from a particular group and compare all of their opinions against one another and doing analysis to try to figure out what is what is the prominent opinion, how varied are these viewpoints? Like it's, it's just impossible for us to do that. So I don't, I don't think we should beat ourselves up for um, making those sorts of mistakes. 
Yeah, no, I, and I, th- I agree with you. I, I, uh, you know, I just want people to be able to like work out problems without having to villainize the other side. You know, I, I don't think that we're, we're not villains. Like really when it comes down to it, we're, you know, especially our avatars online, the way that we present ourselves online versus real life. I was going to do, I was thinking of doing this skit once where you just take a Twitter thread and then you just get a couple actors to act out the things that are said on Twitter threads. And it's hilarious. Like no one speaks like that in real life. And there's a reason it is batshit and reactionary, you know, and, and we should be able to recognize that. Um, I'm just curious because it just popped into my head. Have you ever been approached by like a, a, you know, like a bright Bart or a Fox news where you knew what their motives were and yeah. you're just like listen i can't i can't i i sure did i'm trying to remember his name um gorkin gorka seb gorka do you know who seb gorka oh, is that, yeah yeah he's yeah yeah you don't wanna, you don't want to do that <laughs> he he slid into my dms so did i <laughs> you you did but yeah. you also were not it, well I don't, I don't know i didn't do good uh, background research james uh, I, I watched oh. a little bit of your documentary but oh, as great. far as I know, you 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 didn't show up and try to storm the the uh, Congress on no. uh, January sixth. No, but, I didn't. Uh, also, I'm in Canada. That would have been quite the trek. So well, you know, yeah. you guys had your own thing a few uh, a few months oh, ago. Oh yeah, the convoy. Yeah. The Gorka uh, asked me to come on the show and and talk about my position on uh, young males who identify as trans being in female sports. And I was as polite as I could, but I said, look, I really think that you're a, a partisan populist that is really just trying to, to get people riled up. And I don't want to participate in that. Thank you for asking, but I, I just sort of don't want to do it. And he was really polite back and said, I understand why. And then he said something along the lines uh, of, you know, this is coming down to a conflict between two sides and you're going to have to pick a side one day. See, and I, I, yeah. I am so happy to just be torn apart in the middle than picking <laughs> a side of crazy people. I would rather be drawn and quartered than have to like ride the Gorka canoe, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, you know what? Uh, I'd rather take it from both sides than than uh, yeah. be, a, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it no, it's fair. I know a lot of people that um try to like that are in media that are either podcasters or writers or whatever, and they, um, and you you've probably heard this before, but a lot of people more and more, and I've been hearing this for ten years, so this is not nothing new for me. But I get called a Nazi one day and a communist the next, and it's like good, then you're doing your job, <laughs> you know, like don't worry about it, because the people that are calling you those things, you know, they're 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 not very deep thinkers. They just you know or or they're the search engine optimization brains that that we have to deal with these days. Um, we, we only have a few minutes left, and I, I kind of want to end it like um, just getting to know you a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, what's your what's your favorite movie? My <laughs> favorite movie. Give it really far away from what we're talking about. That's fine. There is one perfect movie, oh. and there's one that's a close runner-up. But the perfect movie is The Princess Bride. There is not a single second of that movie that could be improved in any way, shape, or form. I agree. Everything about it is correct. Yeah. Uh, that Andre, is who favorite. knew Andre the Giant had such depth? I felt so much for his character in that. Yeah. And he, re- he really doesn't do very much, but oh, yeah. he's, he's, it's just the best movie. I should watch it again soon. Yeah. Um, 
The Life of Brian is close to the best movie, though. That is well the, the done, next Claire. runner up. Well done. I'm very happy about these two choices. I, the Life of Brian, um, I saw it when I was like eight or nine or something like that. And I just didn't know that a genre like that existed. And you know what? It, it There's nothing like Monty Python. Like the, nothing since. Like they are their own mm -hmm. genre. Um, yeah, both two excellent selections. Let's end it there. I love that. Um, All right. I hope you come back. I, I would I would love to have you back. And um, the only reason that we're going, though, is because there's another podcast that's using the stream uh, that's coming on in about six minutes, and I don't want to, like, eat into their time. <clears throat> but um, if you'd be willing to come back, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting over COVID, by the way, which is why I'm coughing so much. Um, mm. But if you would be willing to come back, yeah, I know. Like, listen, like, you know, it's not that contagious. Where are you right now? It seems you... like it is. Uh, Indiana. Yeah. Indiana. Pretty sure you're safe. Uh, I'm in a forest in northern Ontario, so <laughs> so you should be fine. Um, I appreciate – you don't have any idea how, how much I appreciate this. Even though I'm going to get hate mail, I, I already saw a few pop into my inbox um, as I was doing this interview. Um, I hope – I hope I was okay. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really thankful that you came and, um, and I find you very compelling and interesting and I love the princess bride and the life of Brian. So, um, you are now down with black belt and I hope that you had a good time. I did. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Karina Khan, everybody. And, um, that felt good. Um, I, I hope, uh, the people that are listening and watching understand that, uh, I sincerely, I have no ulterior motive. I, I, I really just want to have the conversations that a lot of people are afraid to have. Um, and I think that having Corinne on um, was a great uh, inaugural kind of uh, conversation when it comes to not just this issue, but a lot of issues that, that people are afraid to talk about. Um, I will never be afraid to talk about it from a perspective of, you know, like, well, what would the backs be like and this and that. Uh, the fear comes from uh, a frustration that the more people are afraid to talk about things, the worse those things get. And, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, including some of the people, you know, that I see, you know, commenting on a regular basis when I do podcasts, and I love them dearly, but uh, who will message me and say things like, I agree with you, but I can't, I don't want to say so publicly because, you know, uh, I, I don't want to deal with the backlash. And uh, even though I love you, I got to say, I think that um, I think that's one of the problems. I, I, one of the problems is that we are afraid to talk about things because we don't want to be branded and labeled as an ideologue or as a bigot and all those things. If you know that you're not a bigot or an ideologue, I think you should be able to formulate the words that express your true feelings. And that's all I'm trying to do. So on that note, I think uh, that that's a good spot to end. And uh, listen, um, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining me on Blackball today. Uh, it was it was a tough but uh, needed conversation. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, 
listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This is before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.